Good morning. You can open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. And today we're going to be taking a, a one-week break from the Gospel of John. And I thought it would be beneficial to, to meditate further on a doctrine that, that we have seen come up in, in John 14, and we're going to see coming up again in, in John 15. And that is the, the doctrine of the believer's union with Christ, or our union with Christ. We've recently read in a place like John 14, 20, Jesus say, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. This verse is clearly indicating that for the believer, Christ is in us, will be in us, and the believer in Christ. And as we look at the New Testament more broadly, we see this is also the, the language the New Testament authors typically use. So Paul uses the language of, of a believer being in Christ or, or a believer being in the Lord frequently. It's used over 200 times in the New Testament. It's a very interesting phrase, maybe hard for us to grasp because it's speaking of mainly spiritual realities in this age, but it's a central and an essential doctrine to the Christian faith. It teaches that, that unless sinners are united with Christ, they remain unable to receive any spiritual blessing from God, meaning most fundamentally, sinners can't be saved and have the redemption Christ has won for them, applied to them, unless Christ is united with us through the Holy Spirit's working of faith in the sinner. So this is a, a, a paramount, a fundamental doctrine for us as the church. And I think it would be good for us to spend some time this morning thinking about it. We're going to do that by looking at Paul's letter to the Colossians, where he writes to them of their, of their union with Christ, specifically in his death, resurrection, and appearing with them when he comes again in his return. And Paul's going to talk about the implications that those spiritual realities have on believers, on our conduct today, on our affections, on our thought life, on what we're devoted to. And what we're going to see in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, this is the, the main idea of the, of the whole passage there, is that our union with Christ, our union with Christ is actually the grounds for our obedience to Christ. Our union with Christ is the grounds for our obedience to Christ. So if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And I'll be reading Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. So our our modern age is pretty obsessed with the idea of identity. There's such thing as identity politics, where your, your political interactions and allegiance is based primarily on your particular group that you identify with or the subgroup you identify with. You can have your identity stolen and what is known as commonly as identity theft. You can even ex- supposedly experience something called an, an identity crisis when, so, when a change in someone's life makes them reevaluate everything about who they are. In Christian circles, maybe you've heard this idea of finding our identity in Christ. Blake just said it in in his prayer. I've said it probably from this pulpit before. Identity language and thinking is, is everywhere. It's pervasive in our age. And identity, simply put in our modern understanding, is that which encompasses one's sense of self. Or what truly makes us who we are. And so you can find your identity today really in anything, as our culture is making very clear to us. And at its best, the Christian understanding of identity is that Christ should be where we find our true sense of who we are. And that is extremely true. It's very true. But I would note, it's interesting that the language of identity is actually not found in Scripture. Rather, for Paul and the, the other New Testament authors, they prefer this, this language I just referred to, this idea of, of union with Christ, that we are actually in Christ and Christ is in us. And I would contend that our modern impulse that we feel of living in this, in this age to find our identity in something or someone or some group that will fulfill us and, and tell us who we are, that that impulse is solved for the Christian, is solved for the Christian as we think on and meditate on and finally truly understand and comprehend our union with Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote the Colossian church a letter, and one of the main themes of this letter is Christ is is central to everything. He is Lord over all. He has secured redemption for his people through his work. And one of the big things that Paul wants to get across to the readers of this letter is that believers are in Christ and and participate in some way with Christ in his death, in his resurrection from the dead, and his, his ultimate return, his second coming. And that's exactly what we see in our text this morning. So Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4 It picks up in the middle of the letter, obviously, and it comes right after Paul writes in response to the immediate threat of false teachers that that are deceiving the Colossian church. There's some debate over the exact nature of the false teaching or the false teachers, but what seems clear is that these teachers were teaching that, that outward observances and outward observance to a number of Jewish rituals and festivals were were necessary for true spiritual growth. And Paul is warning them of these these false beliefs, of these false promises in chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. 
the verses immediately preceding ours. And so then in verse 1 of chapter 3, we have a, a transition statement in the letter where Paul is going to argue that, that our union with Christ is actually what leads to spiritual growth, not any outward observance to any ritual or festival. There is only one means of spiritual growth, and it is Christ in us. And so I want to structure our time in this text around two main points. They're pretty simple. First is our union with Christ. Our union with Christ, specifically in His resurrection, His death, and His second coming. And our second main point will be our our devotion to Christ. So our union with Christ and then our devotion to Christ. So first, our our union with Christ. We read in in verse 1 again, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So this is a pretty clear conditional statement, meaning that the command in the second half of the verse for, for Christians to seek things that are above, it's, it's conditioned or it's grounded in the objectively true statement in the first half of the verse, which is that Christians have been raised with Christ. And that really is an interesting phrase because it's in, the, it's in the past tense. Notice, have been raised. It's something that, that has occurred. It, it's happened once for all. It's final. We Christians have been raised with Christ, which, which raises a question with it. How? how? How are we raised with Christ? We haven't, at least us in this room, we haven't died. How then can we, we participate in the resurrection before our, our death? We know that one day we will rise with Christ, but in what sense have I been raised with him now? Paul says something similar to this in chapter 2, verse 12 of Colossians, in his discourse on baptism. And in another spot when he teaches on baptism, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. And it's there, you can turn there if you'd like, but it's there where I think we can See what Paul means by being raised with Christ. Again, in Romans 6, Paul says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So notice there, Paul's Paul's tying our, our union with Christ in his death and his resurrection to, or the result of that, to walking in newness of life. And I think, I would argue, Paul is is speaking in the same sense in our verses in Colossians. In Colossians 3, 1. It's it's what sometimes is referred to as as the resurrection power in the life of the Christian. Just meaning that now through our faith and, and regeneration by the Spirit, the Christian has the the same power that lifted Christ from the grave residing in them. So they can walk in obedience to Christ's commands, to walk in newness of life, to to truly live in newness of life. So our, our union with Christ in His resurrection means for us that we have power, primarily power, to obey God's commands. 
which is important as we think about the commands and, and these verses, in verses 1 and 2 of our text. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass over those commands for a moment and skip over to, to verse 3, where we read, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Again, Paul is talking to the, the Christian here, and obviously Paul is not talking about literal death, right? That would make little sense. So what does he mean by we have died in Christ? I think we get our biggest clue of what Paul is meaning here by just looking up a few verses before this in Colossians 2.20. Colossians 2.20, Paul says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world... Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? So the Christian is one that has, has died with Christ. And what, what have they died to? To the elemental spirits of the world. And the elemental spirits of the world, if we look at the context of chapter 2, is most likely referring to the false teaching present in the Colossian context, in the Colossian church. But it's also a, a general term that means the, the basic principles that govern the unbelieving world. So, so any false belief or any false worldview that, that stems from pagan non-Christian sources, that would also be the, the, the elemental spirits of the world. And this is what once ruled and governed all of our lives before knowing Christ. This is the state of every non-believer as we speak. Being ruled by the, the principalities and powers of this world. And we, in Christ, we have died to that rule. We have died to that rule in our lives. We have died to those elemental spirits and powers. Satan and his demons, and the, the, the lies they propagate. We have died to all of that, which formerly ruled us. We have died to every lie that the father of lies tells, which is very important, extremely crucial, and, and as we think about our obedience again to the commands in these verses, we can seek things that are above. We can set our minds on where Christ is, because we have died to the, to the world's ways of thinking. In other words, it's possible for us to do. We no longer live under the, the dominion and the rule of Satan. And we Christians, right? And we, in fact, have a, a completely different home address. Our old selves are dead. We have a new master. We have a new home because in Christ we have died. We have died to our old ways of life. And we have died to everything in the world. So sin, we have died to sin. We have even died to death, the devil. Paul goes further here and he says, your life, so again, the Christian's life is hidden with Christ in God. So it's a beautiful phrase. I think it has primarily, I think, two meanings here in, in the text. 
So in one sense, we're, we're hidden with Christ and God and that our lives, because of our, our union with Christ, are, are in heaven. Right? right? The, this idea we have a different home address. Hidden from human sight, you could say. This is part of the uh, already not yet paradigm that we see uh, across the New Testament. How we are already united with Christ in this life. United in his death, we're united in his resurrection, even participating in those redemptive events in our lives. And yet those realities will only be fully realized when Christ returns again. So in, the, in that way, those realities, they're, they're hidden from human sight. So our, our union with Christ is real, but it's not as if we just get transported up into heaven once we become a believer. No, we, we exist in, in this world, in this age. And though we, we ultimately, we do ultimately belong to that heavenly realm, we belong, we are citizens of God's kingdom, we still are existing as, as strangers and exiles on this earth. So though we are a new creation with, with a new home in the heavens where Christ is, we don't look any physically different than any other human. So in that sense, our, our status is, is hidden ultimately from the world. But there's also a, another meaning of this idea of being hidden with Christ. And that is the word here hidden has with it the meaning of, of hiding something to keep safe, to, per, to protect something that is precious. So just think of it like this, your most valuable possessions that you own, do you just put them on your, your coffee table for everyone to touch and to see and to grab and to take? No, typically we put those possessions in, in a safe. We keep them tucked away somewhere that isn't easy to find. Why? Because we're, we're hiding it. We want to keep it safe so that it won't be stolen because those possessions are valuable to us. Brothers and sisters, we are being hidden and protected with Christ and God. So we are tucked away in God's safe, in His safe place. And we get this idea of, of being hidden by and in God. It, it's found quite a bit in the Old Testament. So the, the passage Blake just read for us in Psalm 25, or Psalm 27, verse 5. We see David say, in, in the day of trouble, in the day of trouble, God will hide me in his shelter. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. So we can think of that, that as hiding him under the cover of his presence. The point here is that, that God is going to protect, he's going to keep David safe ultimately. And the implication of this idea of God hiding us in Christ that we see in Colossians 3, the implications are just wonderful for us. Because we have died with Christ to, to the rule of this world, meaning in this age, in our time, 
when we come to Christ in faith, and, and before the time that, that he comes again to, to bring us into glory, in that in-between time that we, that we all exist in right now, God is keeping us. He, he is protecting us. He's guarding us. He's making sure our faith is, is ultimately safe. So be assured, Christian. God is working to, to keep us completely secure in our faith. This is the, this is the grounds for our hope of our, of our final perseverance in the faith because we have died with Christ. And we are united with Him. And if that's true, then we can be assured we are hidden with Him. And this idea of, of being hidden with Christ is also really important to understand the connection with verse 4. So if you, if you look down there, you, you'll notice there isn't a clear linguistic connection between verses 3 and 4. But there is a clear conceptual connection. We read, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now notice a, a couple things about, about this verse. The, the Christians appearing with Christ in glory is connected to our being, being hidden with Christ in verse 3. Do you see that? So, so remember, in this age, we are, we are hidden with Christ, meaning we, we aren't in our heavenly home yet. But when Christ appears, then you also will appear with him in, in glory. Another way to translate that word appear is, is revealed. So our, our union with Christ will be fully revealed, will be fully seen, will be fully realized. When? When Christ appears. Christ appearing in, in glory. These are, these are clear references to, to his second coming, to his return. This is very similar to what, what John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. John writes there, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. This is a very similar idea and language that Paul's using here in, in verse 4, that, that when Christ comes again, and we, we all see him face to face, we will be made like him. Or we could say that, that we will be fully transformed on that day into the image of Christ, fully. So, so our union with Christ is not just that we're united to Christ in his death and his resurrection, but we're united to him in, in his return. We're united to to him in his glory. So a helpful way to think of this is that, that for the Christian, our, our finish line, our, our end path is perfection. It's perfection in glory with our King. And when Christ reveals himself again in his coming, we will appear with him in glory, meaning we will be perfect like him in glory. 
Another thing to notice in, in verse 4 is how Paul kind of subtly puts in there that, that Christ is our life. Right? Notice, when Christ, who is your life, appears. Who is your life? Again, an, another marker for us of our, of our union with Christ, that, that Christ is our life. As Paul says elsewhere in, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 through 21, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no, long, no longer I that live, but Christ in me. Meaning for the Christian, it's not, not our life. It's not our goals. It's not our desires that, that live or reside in us anymore. No, we, we Christians, we are now ruled by Christ. His ways become more and more and more our ways. His desires become more and more our desires. He is our life. Now just think, just taking those verses, 1 through 4, just think of the, the rich theological truths here for us in Christ. By our, by our faith in Christ, we, we are united to Him, and we have died to our old selves and our, and our old ways and have died to the wicked ways of this world and the ruler of this world. We have even now in this life been resurrected with Christ to live with the power to, to live faithfully to Him as a new creation, to walk in newness of life. And we will one day be perfected in glory when He returns. And all of that, wonderful, beautiful, encouraging truths, leads somewhere for Paul. And that leads to, to our second point, which is our devotion to Christ. Our devotion to Christ. So now we can get back to everyone's favorite part, the commands. Go back to the commands given in verse 1 and 2. I'll just read them. Verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So notice something important here, just of these verses 1 through 4 in general, that we must have crystal clear in our understanding of, of, of our sanctification, of our, of our growth in holiness, of our growth in obedience to God. And that is the biblical pattern we see over and over again, and we see it here in these verses, is that, that truths about our status in Christ, ground and fuel our obedience to Christ. And if we miss that, if we miss what Paul's doing here, we're bound to go in several terrible directions and fall into error because the pattern is that we can't actually be devoted to God. We can't actually be obedient to His Word and to His commands without first realizing all of the implications of our union with Christ and the, and the hope of the gospel 
And that's exactly what we see Paul doing here. Notice how he bookends the, the commands he gives. Right? The commands to seek and to think on things above. He bookends that with the, the truth, the theological truth, that Christians are in verse 1, right? Have been raised with Christ. And then verses 3 and 4, we need to set our minds on things that are above. Why? Because, or, or it translates for, we have died with Christ and will appear with Christ in glory. So again, that's what we just covered, our, our union with Christ. Paul is grounding these commands. We must follow. He's grounding them to, to seek and think and think on things that are above in the reality of the believer's union with Christ. And we have to see that. Because as I've said, it's, it's only with this understanding of what it means to be in Christ, all the implications that has on our lives, it's only then that we can actually obey, obey in faith and, and be devoted to Christ. But let's think about these, these commands for a moment. Really, the, the two verbs Paul is commanding, they're, they're reiterating the same command. Paul says we're, we're to seek the things that are above and to set your minds on things that are above. Set our minds on the things that are above. So to seek is a term that, that brings with it the idea of deliberate committing to something or a daily committing to something. Jesus uses the same word in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6.33. Right? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Paul is getting at the, the same idea here. Believers are to, to seek and that we are to daily commit ourselves, to, to daily devote ourselves. And to what? Devote ourselves to what? Paul says the things that are above, the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Right, this makes sense of the command because if spiritual growth only comes through Christ and, and our union with Christ, which is Paul's big argument in Colossians, then it makes sense that we need to devote ourselves to where Christ is in heaven. Paul references Psalm 110, verses, verse 1 here. Jesus is, is seated at the right hand of the Father meaning Jesus is in the preeminent place or location of prominence. He has the, the same authority as the Father. It denotes his, his rule, his absolute lordship over everything. So Christians need to seek to devote ourselves to where that is, to where he is, to heavenly things, because that's where our Lord is. Verse 2, again, pretty much reiterates the same thing. Which just notice that that repetition should clue us in that this command is extremely important. Paul, because Paul articulates it in two similar ways in consecutive statements. It's a huge signal to the reader. This is really important. This is a big deal. We read, set your minds on things that are above. Not on the things, not on things that are on earth. 
So set your mind, similar to seek, but it's more specific. can also be translated as think on things that are above, but, but set your mind on is probably better because the word means more than just mere intellectual processing over information or facts. The commentator Doug Moo argues this, this word means the, the fundamental orientation of the will. It's a good way to put it. The fundamental orientation of our will. So something more in line with, with what we devote ourselves to, our devotion to something, what we give our lives to. So taken together, seek and to, to set our minds on means to be holy and, and fully devoted to heavenly thinking. Now, it doesn't answer the question, what exactly is heavenly thinking? I know that I need to do it. It sounds good, but what is it? What is thinking or setting our minds on the things above? Well, I think we're helped here by what Paul says we, we are not to do in verse 2. So notice he says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That's helpful. Paul, Paul's contrasting then this this heavenly thinking with what we can call worldly thinking or earthly thinking. So Christians are to not devote themselves to the things that are on earth. Prim primarily, Paul is probably again referring to the, to the false teaching, this, this idea of the elemental spirits of the world, like I, like I already mentioned. That's not all he's referring to. Things on earth include all temporal enjoyments. And, and riches and the, the pleasures of this age. And on one level, we, we need things of this earth. We need food, we need resources, money. There are necessary things we need that, that are the things of earth. It's also not wrong to enjoy the good things in God's creation on the earth. So this is not a call for, for total abandonment of these things. But it is a call for our, our hearts and minds that they, we shouldn't be solely devoted to these earthly things. So fleeting happiness, earthly pleasures, wealth. The wicked things also fall under this category of the things of earth. So all worldly lusts sensuality, greed, wanting what others have. We, we, we can't be devoted to those things in Christ. Again, thinking of chapter 2 of Colossians, worldly philosophies fall under this category of the things of earth. We can't have our minds captured by vain philosophies and, and pagan anti-Christian belief systems or, or worldviews or false teaching, false gospels. We can't be a people that are devoted to any of that. Instead, we are to set our minds on, on the opposite, on heavenly things where our king is. But again, I ask, what does that actually look like in the life of the Christian, to be devoted to heavenly things, to the things that are above? Well, I think we can break this down into to two categories of, of what you can call heavenly thinking. So first is, the first category is being devoted to 
the scriptures, being devoted to the scriptures, and then second, being devoted to the righteousness of the kingdom of God. So devotion to the scriptures and devotion to God's righteousness. So to be devoted, to set our mind and wills on, on things above needs to be, means we need to be thinking on the teaching that comes from above on the words that come from heaven. God's revelation of himself given to man so that we can know him. That's the scriptures. That's the Bible. So there's nothing more heavenly thinking than God's word from heaven revealed to us fully in Christ. So very practically, then we need to be daily committed, devoted, to knowing God's word better. This is how we set our minds. This is how we daily commit to the things that are above. And that means growing in our understanding of theology, even growing in our understanding of of doctrine, which at their best, they're, they're faithful articulations of the truth contained in God's word. It also just means growing in our biblical knowledge. Growing in all those areas are, are, are necessary for the Christian. And of course, this happens at, at different paces, different learning abilities, um, you know, different seasons of life, other factors. So not every Christian needs to have the exact same knowledge about God's Word. But knowing God's Word more is how, is one way that we set our minds on the things that are above. So friends, don't fall into this trap that that thinking and learning about the Bible and theology and doctrine is is some academic exercise for certain educated elite Christians. That's a lie. Every Christian needs to know God's Word because every Christian needs to set their minds on God's Word. Needs to be fully devoted to the things above as Paul commands here. Again, the the second area I think that we can apply this this heavenly thinking or devotion to to the things above, and this gets expounded on in the rest of Colossians 3, is to be devoted to righteousness. You could say God's kingdom ethic, his, his commands of his kingdom citizens. So God's kingdom is is also hidden in the the heavenly realm in this age. It's not not fully seen. It's not fully realized. But it will one day be fully seen and realized when when Christ returns in the second coming. So in that sense, the kingdom is is above where where Christ is. And so we need to to daily commit and devote ourselves to the the righteous commands and and ethics of the kingdom. So as we see in in Colossians 3, verses 5 through 10, this means sin has no place there in the kingdom. We need to be devoted to, to killing sin, finding where our flesh has strongholds in our lives rooting those strongholds out, doing the necessary work to kill sin. That's what it is. That's what it means to seek what is above, to be devoted to 
things that are above. It's being obedient to the commands of Christ and to the commands in Scripture. To, to devote ourselves, to, to daily commit that, that what God's Word says is going to be the rule of my life. Even when my flesh wars against that, even when my flesh doesn't want it. See, that, that daily battle that we all engage in, in the Christian life, that is how we set our minds on. That is how we seek what is above. And brothers and sisters, we, we can't forget the key truth here, right? The, the, the main point of the text. We can't do any of that in our own strength. We can't seek what is above and, and devote ourselves to righteousness in our own ability. We need to remember our Savior in our union with Him. That we have been raised with Him and have the Spirit's power re residing in us, meaning though we still battle with the flesh and sin, we do have the complete ability to be devoted to Christ above all else. We have the power to do that, living inside of us. That means we're not destined to live with worldliness abounding in us, following after the cares of this age. That's not what's meant for us. No, we can. We can and we must be devoted to heavenly things. We can study God's Word. We can know Him better through the illumination of the Spirit, through the, through the power living in us, we can be obedient to the righteous commands in Scripture. And we can delight in them. They can become our great joy and treasure in this life. We also have died to this world in Christ. So we no longer follow the marching orders of, of the ruler here, Satan. Right? He has no say over us. In Christ, we, we have died to sin. Our chains to, to our slavery to sin have been shattered. We have died to all the, the false beliefs in this world and, and all those principles that formerly ruled our thinking without Christ. Meaning, by virtue of our union with Christ, we have the ability to not follow after unbiblical beliefs to not be persuaded by pagan worldviews. We can and we should stand against them. We have the ability to, to fight and kill sin. And one day when we, we appear with Christ in glory, right, that we will appear with Christ in glory. The idea here is if we're headed there, if we're headed to perfection, to be fully conformed to the image of Christ, who is our Lord. If that is where all of our lives in Christ are headed, then why not set our minds on and seek after it here, now, in this world? So friends, do you see just the immense practicality of our union with Christ? Of our union with our Savior? We're commanded by Scripture to seek and be devoted to the things that are above, to heavenly thinking. 
we're commanded to run away from, to detest worldly things. And we can do that, brothers and sisters. We can be obedient through what Christ has done for us. And make no mistake, this is not any, this is not works-based righteousness. No, this is not mustering up our own strength to follow God's ways in our flesh. If you do that, you will fail every time. No, this is Christ working in us. That's our foundation. That, that's Paul's foundation in this passage. So in closing, as, as we swim in the waters of, of our present age, who make, make no mistake, we're obsessed with identity and finding who we truly are in something or someone or some group that, that we think will fulfill us. But we know that it will never ultimately, it will never ultimately satisfy, it will never ultimately fulfill we, Christians, those of us in Christ, we don't have to play that game because it's no longer us and our former desires that live. Rather, Christ lives in us. We are new creations. We can and will walk in newness of life that was won for us on the cross and through the power of the resurrection that, that resides in us. And friends, there is no place more secure than losing your life and being united to the rock of ages who does not shift ever, right? Our present, our future is secure in Christ. All other grounds are shifting stand. And so may God grant us the, the strength by our union with our Lord that we be a people marked by our devotion, our commitment to His ways, which lead to our ultimate good in His glory. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so grateful for you gathering us together as, as your people to sit under your word, that we are united to your Son through the faith that you wrought in us by the Spirit's work. But just let us pause and, and praise you for this wonderful work. But we are attached to the, to the vine, the vine of life. Lord, we do ask that we would be in light of our, of our union with Christ, that we would be devoted, fully committed to seek things where, where he is seated next to you. Ask that you would cause us to, to each grow in our, in our love and, and delight in your word and for your commands in our lives that we would be happy children, submissive to a good father. We pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to invite you.